Thank you to everyone for zooming in to tonight's talk by Anyang Kim from the Asian American Federation to present on their recently published report, Small Business, Big Losses, the Impact of the COVID Crisis on Small Businesses in New York City. Uh, the Federation surveyed hundreds of uh, small business owners to understand why this group was left behind during various recovery efforts and what needs to be done so that they can make it beyond the pandemic. A full copy of the Federation's report is available on their website, as well as via link on this talk's webpage. Uh, Ayan Kim is the Associate Director of Small Business Programs at the Asian American Federation, a leadership organization of over 70 member and partner CBOs across New York City. Uh, Ayang oversees all things uh, small businesses at the Federation, providing technical assistance to small business owners hindered by language barriers or lack of access, and advocating for the immigrant small business community. Uh, prior to joining the Federation, Ayang worked at multiple institutions, including uh, Korea Daily, New York, the World Bank, and the World Resources Institute. Uh, please welcome Ayang Kim. Thank you to the Asian American Asian Research Institute for this chance to present our research um, findings. And like Anthony mentioned, the Asian American Federation is a leadership group for the um, 70 member and partner organizations across New York City, serving to the social um, socioeconomic needs of our Asian American community. Um, the small business program for the Asian American Federation was launched in 2018. Uh, where we first started off by direct services program in um, Flushing downtown along Union Street. Um, from there, we have launched, expanded our program into advocacy as well as um, informational research um, and um, now giving technical assistance to Asian American small businesses across the city. Um, as Anthony mentioned, we have done a survey of small business owners in New York City across, uh, um, from July 2019, uh, 2020 to August 2020. Um, at this time, the business owners were having a very difficult time trying to find out relevant information about what is going on, what are they allowed to do, how are they allowed to operate, as well as where can they get, get resources and assistance that will help them out of this pandemic economy. So starting with where it all began, um, this is Union Street. Um, I'm sure those who are familiar know this area. Um, this is a home to Asian American small businesses starting from as early as 1970s where um, Korean and Chinese immigrants first started moving in and creating an ethnic enclave of Asian American community here. And um, it has been a very vibrant commercial corridor and uh, businesses have had been having some issues about like, you know, food traffic issues and general traffic concerns that are hindering their businesses, as well as trying to keep up to the fast changing market in general. But I was absolutely not ready when we first got the call as early as January 2020, saying uh, one of our business owners called us saying that they have to close down because they can't pay the staff and they simply don't have enough customers. What should they do? Now, this is the time when COVID was not really known in New York City, honestly. Um, there was not a confirmed case at this time. And it was a lot, there was a lot of speculation about this virus and, um, in, in um, Wuhan. And we, I believe we didn't even have a name for the virus at the time, actually. Um, and the whole reason I'm talking about this now is because before we actually started seeing news stories about the virus or started seeing like the death rates rise or even a confirmed case, we saw a huge drop in foot traffic in 
um, Asian enclaves, especially around Flushing and like Chinatown in Manhattan, where individuals were not coming out a lot. Economic activity was dwindled significantly, and business owners simply had no idea what they're supposed to do. Um, so from January until about March, there have been a few attempts where city agencies or elected officials such as Mayor de Blasio were holding um, promotional events and trying to encourage people to go to Chinatown, go to Asian enclaves and enjoy our food and culture as normal because viruses do not discriminate. Viruses are not based on race. But there was a lot of pushback in general from the federal government as well, as well as individual sentiments. Um, from the residents' point of view, because they're hearing a lot of stories from back home, it was very um, threatening for them to really come out and like enjoy the economic activity as usual. And then, of course, all the tourist um, population that used to be a big drive for our Asian um, enclaves around the city simply stopped visiting. That takes us to around March 2020, when we finally realized that, okay, COVID is here in New York and we have to deal with this. Um, at this time, we saw a lot of new regulations and new um, business restrictions coming out of the government, the state and the city government. Also, there were a lot of um, grants inquiry that coming from our business owners and the general sentiment at this time between March to June-ish is literally the panic. Business owners did not know where to go to get the information they needed. They were not even really sure whether they're supposed to open their businesses. There was a lot of misinformation coming from government agencies and definitely not enough language access for people to really find out like, what am I supposed to do if you don't speak English? Or even if you do speak English, it was extremely difficult for business owners as individuals to be able to reach out to the government agencies and find out like, exactly what they're supposed to do at this time. Seeing this panic on the ground, um, we the, at the Asian American Federation, we have started really voicing out our concerns about the lack of information dis dissemination, as well as how the grants are not really being handed out properly or equitable, in an equitable manner. Um, for example, like one of the city grants that was um, launched the first, one of the first city grants that was launched uh, with the pandemic, the employ employment um, retainment grant um, from SBS. They, it was a great program and it was like very um, impressively fast, but in the process of launching this grant very fast, the SBS had forgotten to give adequate language access. For example, there was no translator material or even like outreach material about what the grant is and how to apply, what the eligibility is, etc. So starting from that, there was a lot of different um, other grants that came out, like the PPP that everybody is familiar with, that really did not address the issue on hand on our Main Street economy. So from here, I'm going to talk about our business, um, small business survey report findings. Um, basically, I'm going to talk about how first, uh, our Asian small business owners were really hit earlier and harder. And secondly, how system, systemic issues were hindering access to assistance. And lastly, anti-Asian bias impacting operations. Going into the first issue of how Asian American businesses were hit hard by the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm sure everybody who's here listening to this webinar are already very well familiar with how Asian American businesses were hurting. Um, there's been a lot of stories online and, our, and on media about how 
race-based um, bias is deterring people from visiting our Asian enclaves and like um, traditionally very thriving business corridors. Um, when we asked our business owners themselves in the summer of 2020, it was staggering to say the least. More than one in two of respondents, like more than half of our respondents were operating their business with limited capacity because of pandemic related restrictions. We're talking about things like uh, limitations on capacity on how many um, clients you can have in the business or how the business hours and et cetera. And while business owners were understanding of the public health concerns, there was definitely a lot of difficulty in them trying to understand exactly what they're supposed to do. Some industries, for example, like the dry cleaning industry, they were actually allowed to operate, but because of lack of information, they, there was a lot of misunderstanding and confusion on the ground. And a lot of people actually closed their services, uh, their businesses in the first few months um, of the pandemic. Um, so a one in three of our respondents also said that they had to temporarily close their business during this time, whether it's because of restrictions or health, con health concerns. When you look at the impact of the revenue, it's even more staggering, right? 55% um, of our um, survey respondents told us that they had more than 75% loss of revenue. Now, mind you, this is a time uh, when the pandemic was at its highest and the economic panic was at the highest and a lot of business owners had um, actually temporarily closed. So this number probably went down a little bit over time. However, in general, if you look at it, um, only 7% of our respondents have said they had less than 25% loss of revenue and, and um, um, 50 to 75% loss of revenue also seen by 26% of our respondents. So the numbers are very staggering and we were very um, worried about the survivability of our businesses. But what actually be became even harder for them to cope with the pandemic was that all the opportunities and um, grants or relief that seems to be readily available for many businesses across the city, state and nation, um, that did not seem to be the case for our business owners. For immigrant business owners who have um, limited English proficiency, they had issues with lacking information in the language. They had issues with barriers in application process itself. And also more importantly, because of lack of communication, I guess, there, the forms of aid that was that is now available kind of fail to address the critical needs in our business community. So first issue about the barriers, the lack of information on aid programs. When, asked, when we asked our respondents if there was enough information regarding COVID-19 assistance in their language, almost two in three respondents uh, answered no. Um, we have to remember we live in a city and state where language access is prioritized by law and um, the recognition for this language access is something that we do not fight about, right? Like in principle, we do um, support and believe in the in equal access to information for uh, major um, populations across our state, but this simply is not the case. But if you actually look at how, uh, look at the immigrant, um, uh, look at the um, industries where immigrant communities, Asian American communities are overrepresenting those industries like laundry services, nail salons, beauty salons, you realize all of these um, industries, um, business owners and their staff are um, identify themselves as LAP or limited English proficiency. 
So when it was very difficult for them to find information and also very almost impossible for them to like connect with people who are giving the services to apply for these um, grants and relief programs, um, it doubled the burden on the business owners to cope with the pandemic itself. Now, even if people did get their, they get some information and find, found out about the um, grant programs that is available for them, the barriers in the process itself was also a very big challenge for them to actually gain um, secure funding. Um, we're talking about barriers like um, language access, but also the very fact that they are not, they, there simply is not enough um, relationship built around this small business owners, micro entrepreneurs um, who don't speak uh, English um, very well. Sorry, that's my cat. <laughs> who, who don't speak English very well are actually um, not able to connect with people that are supposed to give them this kind of service. And also they're not sure how, a lot of times because they're new immigrants, they're not sure how the system works when it comes to like different financial institutions in the country. So the, while there were a lot of different um, organizations like CDFIs or um, community-based organizations that are helping business owners with this kind of grant application, that kind of um, information was also not readily available. Um, in our survey, we found that two in five of our business owners cited the lack of translated information as a major challenge to apply applying for assistance. Uh, one in five said that they found the available information confusing, mainly because a lot of the times the um, programs like, for example, the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program from um, the USSBA, there were many times when the launch of the program was very um, hurried. And then the application of it or like the administration of the programs themselves had a lot of difficult hurdles for people to come overcome. But when you think about the immigrant community um, who have language access issues, they, we re, you realize like telling them, oh, we will fix this later, like check in with us in a couple of days, like that information itself is very difficult for them to communicate to. Um, to the applicant themselves. A lot of times when applicants have to do follow-up on their application, um, they often find it impossible to reach the person that is giving the service, um, uh, providing the services. And so if business owners were not completely ready, like perfectly ready to apply for these application, uh, apply for these relief programs, and they had all of their documents ready in that one go, if that's not the case, it's extremely difficult, if not impossible, for them to actually secure funding. And that still is the case now. Um, we are seeing some improvements in newer um, grant um, programs, for example, like the New York State grant that has launched in, in um, June 10th. They, we have seen more um, efforts to have better language, uh, language access, but Again, it has to be, it has to come at the same time, if not earlier, to allow more time for our CBOs to reach out to the business owners that are hard to reach. And that still is not the case. Also, um, another problem was that the forms of aid that was being given at the time, um, this is summer 2020, um, had failed to address critical needs. So where most of our business owners, the biggest concern that they had at the, in the summer of 2020, and even today, is the issue of rent, especially for the time when their business was significantly um, 
limited due to written restrictions or simply the shutdown itself where they were not allowed to operate at all, that doesn't mean that their rent was also, you know, they were like freed from the burden of their rent. So when business owners, they were told to shut down, they still faced the burden to pay up all the back rent and for the time that they were not operating. Um, and payroll, actually, if you think about it, like there were other forms of assistance that was available, like the unemployment insurance and um, the benefits that we saw from state and that was not the biggest concern. Like the biggest concern for business owners was how are they going to keep the storefront that they have? Uh, how are they going to pay back the rent that they owe to their landlords that are not um, giving them any break? And other issues like debt and utility fees, again, like these are things that, these are um, costs that, that incurred during the time when they were not allowed to operate fully or at all. And even now, the there is simply not enough of a meaningful assistance that is that is going to help business owners overcome this background issue. And lastly, of course, the issue of anti-Asian bias. So from the beginning of the pandemic, even like before the first case of the virus was actually confirmed in our city, there had been a lot of race-based and politically um, politically motivated comments about where the virus came from or who is responsible for this virus. And a lot of the times business owners felt that heat. They not only saw that there was a huge de decrease in food traffic and simply not enough people coming into their businesses, but also business owners have told us that they feel unsafe right now and they don't know what to do. Um, in our survey, three out of five respondents had noted that they were worried about anti-Asian bias, their hate crimes affecting themselves, their business, or their staff. And um, some of the stories that they shared with me were very troubling in the sense that they, a lot of the times, business owners would actually say anti-Asian bias is nothing new, right? Anti-Asian bias or racism, the general, the casual jeer or the discrimination that they face um, in in business is not something that surprises them. What is new, however, is that the whole fact that there was a general conversation where there seems to be a lot of finger pointing and victim victimizing and blaming. And science aside, the whole fact that um, we were being pitted against each other in a minority group and being told that a certain group is responsible for this mess that we're in um, did not help our business owners. So some suggestions for safety from anti-Asian hate from our business owners. A lot of them overwhelmingly asked for help with police reporting. Um, this was supplemented by um, some of the narrat narratives from business owners who talked to me personally as well. They talked about how even before COVID, there were always cases of when they have a problem with, um, of, with safety or if they have a burglary or whatever, like the police department do not seem to be as proactive as they expect. This can be because they are used to different um, mannerisms of police based on where they're from, but it's also the sense that there simply is not enough effort to communicate about what are their rights and what are they supposed to do to, to follow up. A lot of the times business owners would tell me that the police kind of laughed at them when they say, do you think you're going to find the culprit? Or, or they simply did not have any follow-up information about what they should do. 
Next, people talked about physical safety. This, um, this can be uh, interpreted into increasing more security cameras or making sure that there's more community-based solutions for safety, like safe zones. And 10% of our respondents also said they would like somebody to talk to in general. So those are the findings about how the COVID pandemic has impacted our small business um, community. And from there, we have these recommendations to our, to our business community, our elected leaders, and the academia. First of all, in order to address the immediate threat to livelihoods and make sure our businesses are around, we first of all think there needs to be new relief programs that actually address the financial burdens of small businesses beyond payroll. We have to assess the issue on the on Main Street economy better, and we have to listen to business owners when they tell us what is their biggest need and what is the biggest threat to the livelihood of their, uh, the survivability of their businesses. And that is simply not the case right now. Well, we are seeing a little more of examples of um, programs and relief um, relief opportunities where people can use the funds to. Um, pay for other things like rent and et cetera. But honestly, like those new programs do not have enough funds right now. And just giving a business like $5,000 and saying, this should help you out with payroll and rent and utility and mortgage and everything just simply doesn't make sense. Um, going over a little quicker, uh, others would be to extend existing programs for small business recovery. For example, the restaurant recovery um, fund from the SBA was very popular among restaurant owners. Um, but soon after the business owners were being notified of winning that funding, um, a lot of Asian American business owners actually received news again saying that they're not going to be given that fund actually because of the recent um, lawsuit where, um, where the federal, federal government was saying that, yeah, it's a discrimination to prioritize the hard to reach businesses. Um, we, they, we need this priority to make sure that the businesses that are most vulnerable and most um, catering to our most vulnerable members of community are surviving. Uh, we also ask for an exemption or deferring the collection of taxes for small businesses. We're seeing some of this happening right now where, for example, the state government just recently passed a bill and I believe it's signed for the business owners who receive the newest grant from the state are not going to be asked to pay taxes on that. We need more of this, um, and not just for the grant and um, the loans they get, but also for general taxes because they really don't have the kind of cash liquidity at this time. Also, we want to see more funding for back office assistance for small businesses because, and this is very important because the business owners who needed funding very desperately, um, they had to compete against other big businesses for the biggest programs like PPP, right? Like, um, so if you remember last year when PPP was first rolled out, some companies like GameStop and Shake Shack had gotten the funding and people were very outraged, right? And those companies did give back the funding, but actually how many more of these bigger companies are actually competing for the same pot of money with our small business owners? Right. So we, we see that when the small business owners were trying to apply for PPP, for example, a lot of them had to pay around a thousand to two thousand dollars or like a portion of the final amount that, of grants that they're given to their CPAs to prepare for this grant. 
Um, this is still an issue um, for new programs as well. People who are asked, looking into get the state grant, for example, right now, a lot of them are actually um, holding back from applying itself because they have had that experience where they had to pay exorbitant amount of fees to their CPAs and basically end up with nothing, even if they were rewarded the funding um, because they had to pay the CPAs. So we need more funding for that kind of backup office assistance. Also, we need to see a better commitment to save our small businesses who are hurting from the rent issue. We want to see the state government enact commercial rent abatement and or um, significantly increase the amount of relief that they're giving to businesses for rent. Um, and lastly, we want to see an extension of residential and commercial eviction moratoriums. In order to address the system, systemic barriers to relief programs, we believe first and utmost, we need to mandate meaningful language access and outreach and application process at the same time as launching the program itself. I cannot emphasize more how unfair it is for our business owners to compete against other mainstream business owners who already have the capacity to just draw up their tax documents out of the TurboTax or just call up somebody that is that might be more um, helpful, whereas our business owners are struggling to just simply find information about the programs that are available right now. Um, when, we, when we say meaningful language access, I think it's important to emphasize that we are not talking about Google Translate. We are not talking about having a button at the corner of a website that says, click this and you will see your application process in your language, because when you actually look into the content of the language access that's being provided, for example, like a gross receipt, um, a very technical term for fiscal, um, fiscal use, would be translated into something like the paper receipt that you get from the, from the store after a, a purchase is done. Um, and it just simply doesn't make sense. Business owners who have less of a financial um, understanding or who have language um, who have um, limited English proficiency, it's very difficult for them to understand exactly what's going on, even if the document is written in their language. Um, also, we need to increase um, in order to make sure that business owners do not get stuck with this kind of bad um, outreach programs or these barriers that they face, we need to see a significant increase in funding for CDFIs and CPOs who support hard to reach small business communities. Um, CDFIs are community development financial institutes, institution, and they are the ones that are most knowing about what our small businesses look like and how they operate on Main Street, right? And they are the ones, because they're not financially motivated, like a commercial bank, they're the ones that really hold the business owner's hand and walk them through every single step of these um, application process and also making sure that they're not missing out on something, right? So for example, like a very um, simple, simple um, contrast is like a business owner who goes to a commercial bank that they have been um, they have been in a relation with for like 20 years. They they went back to their um, main bank at the beginning um, of the pandemic last summer and asked for help for PPP. And the bank literally told them, you're not going to get much money from this. So we advise you to not apply. Now, that business owner did get their funding through other sources by going through CDFIs. 
But the whole story there is that the banks themselves, because when they saw that the PPP commission is only at like 5% in the first rollout, they did not have a financial incentive to really go out of their way to help out their business own, um, their clients, even if it was a longstanding client. It just didn't make sense uh, economically from the bank's point of view. So my point is um, the, our nonprofit partners and CDFIs and community-based organizations who actually have that trusting relationship with our business owners in the region that they operate in, they really need the support and more funding to make sure that they can reach the hard-to-reach community. Um, lastly, for addressing the systemic barriers, we have been and we always will push to um, ask for a wider range of documentation to show loss of income or eligibility. Um, one of the biggest problems that we see with all the business relief programs that, we're, that are rolling out from government agencies is that there's, a, there's not enough of a selection of different documentation that people can produce to show that they are eligible. And as much as I understand the need for the administrative efficiency, when you realize that the a huge, a vast majority of our immigrant community is going to be left out of a particular funding opportunity simply because they have a different fiscal year, for example, than what the federal government thought was reasonable. This does not help our community, and it just kind of dampens the whole whole economic economic activity and the will to really recover in our community. So we want to see more range of documentation. We want to see, for example, um, instead of just asking for social security numbers, um, the New York State, for example, this time has started to allow people to um, accept, uh, um, submit their EIN instead of their social security number. For that, uh, through that kind of change, people who were not documented, for example, or who are not citizens, uh, who are not um, green card holders, but still do um, have a, a viable business in the community would now be eligible for this program. We want to see more kind of change like this and look forward to that. Um, lastly, for um, dealing with anti-Asian bias, we want to, we believe that it's really important to develop programs and communications with business owners themselves to address their safety concerns. We want to see that the small business owners are better helped when it comes to reporting. And in order to do that, they need to first be trained about how to make their reports um, on, uh, on anti-Asian bias incidents, how anti-Asian bias incidents should be treated differently than simple assault, for example, and what they should expect to hear from the police as well. We also want to hear, see the um, a creation of safety training programs for Asian American small business owners and their staff. We see a lot of business groups, for example, the Korean American Grocers Association, um, coming together on their own as a community and saying they're going to create a hotline and they're going to make keep an eye out for their block at least, or they're going to create the safe zone for people who feel like they're not, um, they're under attack or threat. And we need to make sure that these, um, this kind of initiative is better supported with very professional safety training programs and um, encourage that kind of community effort. 
And in order to do that, I think we, we also think that it's important to partner with small businesses to establish the safe zones in their communities and to have that communication ongoing to ask them, what do you need? What does your staff need? And how do your clients feel? So that's the gist of our survey um, report. And I just want to leave you with this one last thought. For the immigrant community, the small businesses are more than just a place of commerce. It's not just a place where people go in and buy their Chanel bag and, you know, feel like they're done with that. Actually, small businesses are the ones that were the first to step up and say, we're going to bring masks to, excuse me, um, we're going to bring masks to the Elmhurst Hospital because we see this community is hurt and we cannot stand by. The small businesses are the ones that are, also learning to speak for themselves and ask, make their demand, but it's a slow process and they need our help. Small businesses are the ones that are not only worried about the survival of their own businesses, but their community. So many business owners have asked me during, uh, during the height of the pandemic, what can we do to do better outreach about safety, better outreach about health concerns? How can I better educate my regular clients? And this kind of contribution to our community is never recognized. And lastly, in anti-Asian bias, we also saw that the business owners were very happy to um, host this mural that we put up in Flushing to celebrate the, the contribution for our Asian American community for the city of New York, a place we all love. So that is my presentation. Thank you very much to the Asian American Asian Research Institute for this opportunity to present. I just want to point out that the Asian American Federation in regards to uh, safety for the Asian American community, they do have a campaign going on right now called Hope Against Hate. So if you visit their website, you can find out a little bit more information about that. They do also have a let's see, a safety training available, bystander, upstander training available on their website and other resources available. So that's a great resource. Could you explain sort of uh, the methodology for your survey, uh, which neighborhoods you targeted, um, I don't, uh, how many people you, you uh, surveyed and um, were certain communities uh, better off or you know, worse off uh, in terms of uh, what you found out during the pandemic? Okay. Thank you for your question. Um, so our survey was run between July to August 2020, and it was we were very um, fortunate to have the opportunity to um, have um, have the support of Serna Foundation to have a small business grant that we tied to this survey. So um, we were able to offer out of um, survey respondents um, 100 small business owners a micro grant to help them through this difficult time. Um, in in terms of who did we survey, um, we have had the survey in eight different languages on top of English, and we used our, uh, we tapped into our partner and member agencies, as well as small business organizations across the city, asking them to um, pass out this survey to their members. Um, the, it, in the end, we had over 400 respondents, but uh, with the duplicated data and misrepresentational data um, eliminated, we were left with 314 respondents, and most of them were Korean and Chinese. Um, all of them were in New York, and some people did respond to us from outside New York City, but they were not counted for. 
was there an incentive uh, provided? How, how, how did you go about uh, getting folks to sort of answer uh, these personal questions? A lot of time, um, they, you know, businesses might not even want to share how many employees, right, are mm -hmm. you know, within their establishment. So how, how did you go about creating this connection with them to answer your survey? Right. Um, I think one of the biggest lessons that we took from this survey, actually, is the importance of using our resources in the community already. So you're totally right, Anthony, that business owners do not usually want to share their personal information or how their businesses are doing. But at the time of the survey, we had been hearing from different business organizations like the Korean American Business Council of New York saying that they have these issues and so many of their members are going to go out of business simply because they can't pay rent. So when there was such a pressing issue that business organizations themselves were identifying as a problem, it was much easier for us to create that survey and ask them to like help us create a data um, that shows like exactly what the problem is and like how to prioritize the different issues. Um, the survey respondents were also informed that they may be randomly selected to win the micro, um, uh, micro grant for their businesses. But honestly, the business owners themselves and the organizations that helped us get the survey out, they, they were less interested about the grant itself. They were more interested about making sure that their voices are heard because they were just so desperate. Um, in regards to sort of uh, earlier on, you mentioned difficulty, right, in applying for grants. Uh, one thing that happened in Manhattan's Chinatown uh, the zip code 10013 was left out of sort of uh, the New York City Small Business Services grant called the LMI grant, I believe that was the name of it. And, you know, folks are sort of in outrage, like, you know, because you know, China, uh, Chinatown, but the, the way the borders are set, they are within two different zip codes. But the SBS wouldn't budge on sort of like uh, just extending their, you know, the borderline to just the, you know, literally slash, you know, Chinatown portion of 10013. Uh, even though uh, small organizations, local organizations that popped up during the pandemic uh, voiced their outrage, you know, still SBS said, well, you know, we'll do it next time. But still nothing, you know, uh, came about from that. Yeah, very good point. And um, I believe SBS just announced that they're going to reopen the LMI storefront grant. Hopefully they have better, um, bigger um, eligibility requirements there. But um, going back to the question of businesses being left out, um, so it's a two-level issue, I think. On one hand, there is the lack of understanding about how our small businesses operate and exactly what situation they are in. And then there is the issue of, like, administratively, how is the government agency going to eff effectively um, administer the grant? Um, and first of all, on the issue of where the businesses are located and like how, what situation they're in, I think there's simply not enough communication with small business owners who are LAP or immigrant business communities. There's, there are a lot of organizations that cater to very specific industry and ethnicity. And basically these are like organic communities that are built out of need for exchanging information, et cetera, right? But although they have very good idea about their needs and what um, potential solutions to their problems, there is not enough opportunity for them to voice out their concerns. There's not enough um, outreach from the government to ask them what do you need. So there, sh there should have been a, a review process or a process of public comment, for example, before the LMI storefront um, 
program was actually launched, right? There should have been a time when um, instead of everybody being upset once it's launched, like if there was a time for like public comment, um, it could have been very easily identified. But then that leads us to the second issue of like from an administrative point of view, like how, why is the government not listening to us? Um, to be honest, I, I've, I've grown a little more understanding of the limitations that SBS has, right? Um, the, where the funding is coming from is uh, federal funding, or so the SBS explains, and therefore they have to adhere to the federal standards of grant allocation. Now, the problem is the federal standards don't make any sense. It's the federal standards are based on HUD, um, on the housing, and it's not even really a business-oriented, a commercial activity-oriented standard. So that should not have been a standard to begin with. But then the folks that are making these um, statutes and kind of trying to figure out how to like best or um, in a fast manner roll out these programs, they kind of fail to address these issues because they, I don't know, I think I get the feeling that when we're not making enough noise, it's not really like getting, um, um, getting addressed, right? Um, and there needs to be a lot more communication, like once some program has been allocated, um, has been decided and launched, if there is like learning um, lessons that have been learned, like the, there, I wish there was a better way for them to really like um, kind of piece together like local communities with the city, municipal agencies, with the source of the funding itself. Whereas right now I still see there's a huge shortfall in terms of like follow-up and oversight once the program has launched. A lot of the times, our elected officials are very happy to say, uh, I want this funding. I made sure that we're going to have this um, assistance, and there simply isn't enough oversight after. Great. Uh, we have a question from Gloria. Uh, she, she is a small business owner in Manhattan's Chinatown on Bowery and feels frustrated as uh, her grant applications for federal and state grants have been rejected because uh, she is located in zip code 10013. Uh, which is shared by nearby shops in Tribeca and Soho. Right? Uh, what advice can you suggest to elevate this to elected officials in power? And she also mentions that the grant money on the line was uh, $25,000. Uh, thank you for any advice you can offer. Um, Gloria, I totally understand where you're coming from. You are, there are so many people who have been cut out of this funding and sharing your frustration. Um, I, I would say you're on the right track to say you want to elevate this to an elected official. Um, I must say your elected official, I believe, is um, Margaret Chen, and she has been very supportive and like very, very vocal about the need to expand programs for our business owners in your area. Um, do reach out to her office and also reach out to your um, state legislators. Also, um, the Asian American Federation is providing technical assistance to other forms of grant, especially the state grant for small business owners that was recently launched. So do contact us at smallbiz at aafederation.org and I will send you the relevant information. For that particular uh, New York State recovery grant, uh, mm -hmm. uh, the Federation did do a webinar recently, I think. And the yeah. video is available online on your Facebook page. And I think mm -hmm. also linked to your Twitter. So please check out their Facebook page. Um, in, in terms of language, uh, you did hit it on the nose earlier on. Uh, all this PPP information, et cetera, wasn't available in other languages. Mm -hmm. um, Chinatown, uh, which I, I'm familiar with, 
uh, had to go about translating it internally, right? Through uh, organizations, uh, volunteer groups, even taking uh, material from California to use here just to post online so folks could rush the deadline to make it uh, to submit something. Um, even now, there are some information available, even for the New York State Recovery Grants right, recently, right? Some information is available on the website uh, in other languages, you know, uh, Chinese, you know, traditional or simplified, right? Uh, but you still have to leap the hurdle, right? Of the website is only in English. And then you have to know whether or not you can click on the top, right? The top right corner, right? To change the different language, right? And then you don't even know that you can change the different language because the little menu bar itself just says English, right? With a little down arrow. So how, how do you know? <laughs> so, you know, um, uh, government agencies, you know, they got to do, a, I don't know, would better in terms of you know informing folks about information is available to you. Absolutely, absolutely, and also like, there needs to be better assessment on user experience on the business owner's perspective. Like you just hit on all the points that I was I I always talk about when I'm I'm asking for better language access, and a lot of the times the answer we get from government agencies is like oh but there is language access there is that button that you can press and. I think there needs to be a lot more community-oriented conversation about why that is not enough and how to bring about more meaningful language access. Yeah, one interesting thing is when they make forms available in other languages, they put in English to say this is Chinese Mandarin or this is Chinese, you know, Chinese traditional, Chinese simplified, but all in English. Mm -hmm. How is you know someone who only, you know. Uh, reads those particular languages supposed to know, right? The English version, mm -hmm. right? To Absolutely. access that information. Gloria has another uh, comment. Uh, she is already in touch with uh, her local reps. However, the offices said that um, her appeal will likely not go through. Uh, what kind of noise can she make in order to make her uh, outrage heard? Uh, she'll also contact you uh, so that uh, make a collective uh, voice louder and stronger. Um. Yeah, thank you, Gloria. I will look for your email. Um, we also often ask our small business owners to please come forward and share your stories when it comes to these frustrations. And to be honest, it's actually quite a challenge for us to identify business owners who are willing to speak to media. And honestly, the media is the best and fastest way to get the attention of elected leaders. Um, if you are interested in speaking to media, do let us know. And everyone else who's listening to this, if you are interested in sharing your story, um, do let us know. Uh, going back to earlier on, in terms of your survey, you said uh, a majority of it was sort of uh, Korean and Chinese owners, right? Uh, that uh, responded back. Um, uh, are Korean uh, business owners faring better than Chinese small business owners in, in, you know, during this time period? Or, and receiving uh, uh, grants more than more so than other particular groups, or are they having the same issues together? I, I feel like everybody is having the same issue. Honestly, it's very difficult. It's been very difficult for us to help the business owners apply for these funding opportunities, mainly because of the documentation issues or eligibility requirements that we mentioned earlier, and that goes across the all ethnicities, it's not just Korean and Chinese. And it is easier in the sense that, well, for example, like I speak Korean, so I can help people in Korean. And there, if there, there are like better resources for those two languages, Korean and Chinese, but 
also, you know, the, the demand is so, so much bigger. So that's why we need more funding for our CDOs and CDFIs and business owners just simply don't have that enough access or information. Seeing uh, local efforts pop up uh, in Flushing or, you know, uh, Manhattan in, in lieu of, you know, government not helping out. Absolutely. So they're one of the small groups that I'm really, really, really fond of personally is um, Send, Chinatown, uh, Send Chinatown Love. This is a volunteer-based organization that where um, basically staffers and um, children of immigrant-owned small businesses in Chinatown, Manhattan, came together saying, we cannot just watch our businesses tank. We got to do something. And they created a platform where you can do donations and you're also, they are also helping the, their clients help, um, have promotional uh, material online and have an online presence. And that kind of effort really is heartening. And it's really encouraging for the business owners to know that there is support. Um, I also know that there are so many um, individuals that have reached out to us as well as to their local groups saying that they can help um, up business owners apply for these grants and et cetera. And of course, like community-based organizations or even religious institutions have been very helpful in, like, um, in sharing the information. What has the response been um, since the release of your report uh, from the different uh, government agencies? To be completely honest, I haven't heard much direct response from um, government agencies, but the, the survey report is based on the survey that was done last summer, right? So our advocacy work has centered around the survey findings itself for the last year. And in general, the government agencies or like small business committees, for example, have always been saying, we understand the frustration, we understand it's really difficult, we will try our best. Um, we are seeing small incremental improvements in terms of the eligibility requirements and et cetera, but we still, I personally still don't feel like there's enough sense of how big of a problem this is going to be, how, this, how we are really seeing mass closures right now and how this is going to worsen over time. And honestly, I feel like there is just not enough will to prioritize immigrant small business owners. Well, I just want to acknowledge that uh, your director, uh, Joanne Yu, she's actually part of the Small Businesses Task Force, right, for, mm -hmm. for New York City. Yeah. So we do have uh, Asian American voices on uh, the committees there uh, in order to uh, let them know uh, sort of uh, what's going on. What are the next steps after this survey? Are you going to do a follow-up survey uh, this coming summer? Uh, we are hoping to do a quick check-in at the very least, if not a full-on survey. Right now, I feel like our, we need to prioritize bringing the assistance to the businesses um, um, as much as advocacy right now. So we have been in touch with um, the state, for example, and like, we, like I mentioned earlier, we're giving technical assistance to business owners, and we're trying to expand that service for in the Federation ourselves. But for our community, I think it's really important for people to have these conversations among themselves and try to voice it out. For example, like earlier when Gloria was saying, like she has reached mm -hmm. out to elected officials. Um, honestly, even if your elected official is saying that I can't do anything for you right now because of the regulations or statutory um, um, restrictions, your voice is heard. And when business owners call elected officials, they call us back and say, is this really going on? How big, is, how big of a problem is this? So 
do not feel discouraged. Do keep on voicing out your concerns, especially if you, um, especially if you have language uh, language um, uh, language access issues. Like you can call elected officials who have um, staff that do speak Asian languages um, a lot of times. So happy to direct you towards that um, as well. Um, also, I think there needs to be a more organic conversation about how are we going to boost economic activity and how are we going to kind of sustain our small business owners through after this pandemic, right? Honestly, what has happened in, throughout the pandemic, it's just something that was kind of ongoing in terms of like automation or in terms of like businesses not being able to um, sell online because they're not, um, because of tech divide and them slowly losing their old clientele and like their businesses slowly um, going downhill. It was a lot of businesses were already on that trajectory, but then the COVID really just demolished all of them, right? Just pushed everybody off the cliff they were coming on to. And where we have to focus on now, I think, is once this emergency recovery is over, we really need to look back to ourselves and think, how do we make sure that our smallest businesses are not falling behind from this tech divide? How do we bring better, um, better equipped resources and better equipped um, hu um, human resources? Like how do we educate our community our, and our youth to make sure that they are supportive of small businesses? And honestly, if you think about it, I think there's a lot of amazing potential for our small businesses. Like, and there is a lot more growing need and demand for Asian American culture, as well as our business um, products, but it's a matter of whether the business owners can actually reach their um, clientele online, right? So when I look into the, for example, like um, how SBS is trying to um, help people get online and like um, drive people to spend more money on local businesses through their SBS portal, um, that's all great, but you have to kind of think about how does the how does how can you translate that into an Asian American context? How do you fit that model into the clientele where the business owners don't speak English or their customers don't speak English? So um, making sure that these kind of initiatives are reflecting the needs on the ground and the cultural elements of our community is very important. I also want to encourage our the academic world as well as the corporate world, like do not leave us behind. Like when you are launching new services, think about how to make it accessible for our business owners as well. And do hire with diversity in mind and do try to keep in mind about, you know, cultural representation as, as well as language access for our business owners. During the start of the pandemic, when everything was closed, right, no customers indoors, uh, a lot of folks who uh, didn't do uh, online delivery, right, had to pivot in order to do start start doing online delivery, and then folks who already did did do online delivery and had to count on it much more so, right, you know, the, their main complaint about online delivery is basically the fees; they're taking out too much, um, or you know, not being able to sort of uh, English language uh, online delivery services, but there are, you know, uh, the Asian ones available, right? For the Chinese community, I think it's called Hungry Panda or something like that. Those are one of the services available, right? So, you know, a lot of the community had to pivot uh, in terms of this pandemic. Uh, Professor Margaret Chin from Hunter College uh, has a question. Could you please tell uh, us how uh, Asian-owned businesses were prioritized in the American Recovery Act and what happened then? 
And what do you think are the monetary losses by not being prioritized in it? To be very clear, I think they tried to prioritize immigrant business owners um, compared to other like previous programs. But I, in terms of the fact of priority, I don't think we have seen a big success. Um, what are the attempts that they had? For example, I think when there were um, different elements of funding requirements, um, for example, like saying like the state grant this time around saying that um, you have to have made less than 500K um, to, uh, to be eligible, like that kind of priority or um, in the restaurant Re recovery fund, they had initially announced that they were going to give priority to minority, well, that at the time they worded it as um, social economically disadvantaged groups. So basically like, you know, minority groups and or like in um, LMI areas and that kind of eligibility or like prioritization is very encouraging. But like I mentioned earlier, the Restaurant Recovery Fund has been kind of backtracking and telling people now we can't give you that priority. So we're not going to give you the funding that you earned. Or um, even for the state grant, for example, like even if the eligibility allows people to put in EIN, a lot of business owners simply don't have their tax documents because it's not time for them to have filled their taxes yet. So in terms of effect itself, I am not sure how much we can say it actually did prioritize. We will conclude on that. Thank you very much, Ayang, for your informative presentation once again. Uh, folks, if you want more information on this report, you can go to the Asian American Federation's website or visit uh, this uh, talks webpage and you'll get information there too. Uh, I just want to let everybody know that if you're seeking information regarding resources on Asian American history and anti-racism for your classroom or community. Institute has a list available on our website uh, under publications, CUNY form in the resources section of Corona Conversations. Uh, enjoy your upcoming 4th of July weekend, everybody. Stay healthy, get vaccinated and be an upstander. You can take those training courses at the Federation's website. They have a brochure available in narrative languages. So please share those with your friends and family. And we hope to see you soon at the Institute's upcoming events during the summer and have a good evening and stay cool during this heat wave, everybody.